Welcome to another edition of Our Kind of Pod, a UW-themed episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. Today's guest was Jeff Linquist, former Mercer Island and UW quarterback, and as we found out in this interview, the best holder in UW history and the owner of the longest recorded throw in the history of mankind. Uh, Jeff is a great dude and was nothing less on this pod talking about the ups and downs of his time at University of Washington. Really enlightening stuff from Jeff, and I think you'll really enjoy having him walk through his career a bit. Here we go. Thank you so much for doing this, Jeff. Uh, I can remember the exact first time I met you. I, I bet you can't. Um, it was a it was a rush party. John Obernesser brought you through, and you know it's like at that point you're a committed quarterback coming in, and it's like you never know what you're gonna get with with uh, with D1 athletes. And it was like, all right, let's just feel this out. And I remember like immediately meeting you, and I was like, you just had this ability to make everyone else feel like they. Were the were the quarterback, and you, you were just the normal guy. So uh, that speaks volumes to who you are and, and why you uh, why you chose to do this today. So appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Randy. You bet. Uh, last time I actually saw you though was in Piscataway, New Jersey. I was at that Rutgers game. The one in New Jersey that was the year after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that uh, that you had already graduated at that point. Yeah, I was a retired athlete by then. Good gotcha, story. gotcha. Uh, so we were in the same boat, but that was yeah. <laughs> that, that it would have been when you were walking the red carpet in uh, in Atlanta. That probably would have been it. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, that was a big moment um, for the UW program, figuring out kind of a litmus test of of where we stood. I think. Yeah. No. It was. Uh, I mean, it was an amazing experience, and you know, obviously we didn't win. We can talk about details in a sec, but. Uh, I mean, it was a pretty cool, like, that's, you know, obviously a huge stage to be on as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's obviously kind of the, the climb back from Husky football from, you know, the, the 2000, 2000 Sopo glory days, sort of. So that was, a, in a way, it was a pretty cool mark for us to have a box to check, I guess. Slow climb. You're a year younger than me, but I'm sure you remember those days. Were you were you going to Husky Stadium back in the days? Of the Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, glory. so my, you know, my, my pops was a Husky grad, and so was my mom, and so we had tickets from forever, and I, you know, remember going as a you know, six-year-old kind of all the way through when I started getting recruited. Gotcha. Were you at any of the 0-12 games? Sadly, probably a couple of them. <laughs> I mean, I try, I, try, I try to not remember, but I'm sure I was there for a few. Yeah, I can't remember specifics, but I just remember it felt like every single game was just dumping rain, and I, I don't know if that was <laughs> the, tr- the truth or just a feeling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you get to, to MI, you're basically Northwest Tebow at that point. Um <laughs> You are the only high school athlete I've ever seen that has uh, John Mellencamp as the backdrop of their of their YouTube highlight video. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's that says something. So thank you for the compliment. Actually, what's kind of funny is uh, the point of that 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 highlight tape had came out. I was already committed to UW, and so it was kind of like a this is kind of just a for fun thing. Gotcha. So I wanted I wanted to do the song called "Stick 'Em on a Chicken" by Zach Brown Band, <laughs> but we figured that was probably a little bit you know to just like loosey goosey so we end up going to Mellencamp which is still a great choice so you were trying to get people to not look at your video and not bug you at that point I mean I think it's a great song so who knows <laughs> yeah different type of crowd some some school, no doubt. like Western Kentucky would have called called about that for yeah, sure they could, they could have loved that I don't know about the Seattle school as much though yeah not so much uh, yeah I'm familiar with Brian Dunn's work because he did all the the Jake Heaps and Kaysen videos from back in the day yeah yeah, yeah that was actually we got in touch with my dad I was like well did you know awesome stuff for Jake Heap, so I figured it's a good good guy to get in touch with for quarterback highlight videos and he did a great job. So Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, yeah. so in MI 
question for you because I've visited this this haunt before. If, <laughs> if you if you walk into the Roanoke, uh, do they let you pay? Oh I, oh yeah. I mean I'm just I'm just a small fish in a small pond. So. There we go. I mean, but I'll I'll pay for those beers and those nachos any day of the week, so it's not like it's a burn by any means. The only place you can get up on that whole rock. Uh, That's right. <laughs> too, really too bad. Um, yeah, uh, so you commit, like you said, in April, what was that, 2011, around then? Yep. Okay. Uh, but when did you know before then that, like, it's basically signed, sealed, and delivered that, that you were going to end up a Husky? Um, you know, I guess not as early as you'd probably expect or as I would have liked. Um, <laughs> you know, there was part of me that, you know, when I was getting recruited, ultimately just came down to UW and Stanford kind of from the very beginning. Um, and once I ended up getting those two offers, I kind of just shut the rest of it down and focused on those two. And it was one of those, like, you know, my heart kind of always said Husky, but I try and be a little bit kind of, you know, use my head with some of these decisions. So obviously Stanford has a lot to offer. Oh, yeah. Um, so it wasn't just like a purple and gold all the way, um, all day, every day kind of thing. Um, so there was a very kind of like logical decision that I was trying to make between the two. And, you know, at the end, UW ultimately ended up winning out, but I'd say it was probably, you know, maybe a couple, a week or two before that day I actually verbally committed. And part of it was after I, you know, said UW in my head, I kind of wanted to try out how it felt for two weeks or yep. for, you know, a week or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say, you know, science seal delivered UW was probably only about a week before I actually verbally committed. But, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of heart in that decision. Um, gotcha. But there's certainly a, a logical kind of headpiece that I was trying to think about too. For sure. So how much of the, um, you know, everybody's different and everybody thinks about these things in a different way, but how much of kind of the, the just natural politics with, with quarterbacks especially goes through your head when you're trying to do the logistics of, you know, this guy's in place here, my shot is probably going to come one or two years down the road. Were you thinking like that or was it just all about the school and all about what's best for you? Um, that's a big, that's a big question. Um, I think it's early for that, but. Right. No, it, it plays some factor into it. Um, you know, when you kind of look at just what the opportunity might be, obviously there's some thought about, all right, who, how many guys am I going to compete with? Um, you know, so I think, for example, like had I gone to Stanford, I think I would have been one. I mean, I might get this number exactly wrong, so don't sue me. But I think it, I would have been like one of seven quarterbacks on roster that were on scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a certain like, you know, more guys equals more competition. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, you also, you're playing with odds here and you can only get so many snaps in the, in practice and all that. So, um, I'd say I looked at that a little bit, but that wasn't like, you know, the, the deciding factor, but I guess between UW and Stanford, when I was getting recruited, you know, UW kind of had the more appealing call it quarterback landscape, you know, obviously sure. Keith was there and, you know, I was playing well, so I didn't expect to ever, you know, beat him up. But then kind of after that, it was, it seemed like it was an open competition. So, yeah. Um, that whole just kind of, I guess, dynamic seemed like it was a good, a good opportunity. So two months after you commit, Siler Miles commits and throws another wrench into it just because I think, I think were you both at Elite 11 together, you and Siler? Yeah, yeah we were roommates. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah. So had you talked about it when you were roommates before? Um, so we were roommates at Elite 11, I think like, I want to say three or four weeks after he committed to UW also. Okay. So I think that roommate situation was very intentional. Um, okay. and it's one of those things like, you know, I mean, Siler, Siler was a really nice guy. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like it was ever like we were puffing our chest out, bumping each other's shoulders, walking through the hallway or anything like that. Um, you know, I think we both understood the dynamics of the situation, like the fact that, you know, we were quarterback light as far as numbers go. So it wasn't like, 
um, you know, with both of us getting recruited, it was like, you know, one coach believed in me, one coach believed in him and it, you know, didn't reciprocate across all coaches. It was kind of just a, you know, Hey guys, we have two quarterbacks on roster here. We got to just make sure we have some bodies just in case. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like both of us getting recruited didn't feel like it was coaches giving up on either one of us. It just was like, this is just what has to happen given the situation currently. And so we were like, Oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. Obviously it was another person to compete with and there was some kind of, um, I don't want to say weird dynamic, but it's like, you know, a guy who gets recruited, your same class at your same position. And, you know, you're pretty similar. It's like, sure. You know, it kind of throws a question mark up, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't any, I guess, malintent with, with that recruiting mm-hmm. process. If that makes sense. Does that remind you that situation of, of kind of what the current landscape in the, you know, quarterback room is when it's kind of a, a crowded house with, you know, two guys coming in as freshmen, you get the, the the transfer Easton coming in and also the incumbent with, with Jake this year. Yeah, um, I guess so. I hadn't really thought about that until you just said that, but it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, obviously, Jake Browning has had a, just an awesome career and has done some amazing things, and you know, it doesn't hurt to have a bunch of guys behind him, so it'll be interesting to see how that whole landscape shakes out because, you know, obviously, Jake Easton's a big name, and then, the, you know, the two young guys, um, Sermon and Yankoff, are both, like, um, from what I hear, just total studs. And then, uh, you know, I've heard Jake Hayner, Jake's backup this year, is just mm-hmm. yeah, had a, had a really good fall camp and or had a really good spring camp and, he was a good ball player, so I'll be, you know, pretty excited to see how it works out. And if, you know, the dogs have an embarrassment of riches, it's a pretty good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, no one's no one's complaining. It's just the kind of the navigating the internal dynamics of, you know, you're 18 years old. I would imagine it's pretty hard to not think about those types of things, um, even on your best day when you're trying to block it out. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's let's kind of go year by year of, of yeah. your career at UW. So you you arrive on campus and that ends up being a redshirt year for you in 2012. Yep. That's that's the the CenturyLink year. Um, kind of a weird season overall. I think expectations after that Baylor game were flying high of what type of offense this could be, and it kind of right. kind of stalled out a little bit um, with the loss of, of Aguilar and Curse. I think I don't think the offense really really ramped up to that, but. When did those conversations about you know that you're gonna you're gonna redshirt this year? When did those conversations happen? Were you already keen on that before you arrived on campus, or did that kind of play it out in camp? Um, well, it was kind of funny actually because I kind of went in expecting like I mean I'm like there's no reason that I wouldn't redshirt. I just kind of had this mindset. Um, you know, there was obviously Keith and then Derek Brown was a redshirt freshman that year and it was a you know a good ball player. So it's like it's not like they were just totally desperate for a you know a backup by any means. Um, and I, said, I think I want to say it was like maybe the first week of the fall camp. Um, you know, Coach Stark pulls me into his office, and I think Kurt, it might have been Coach Stark or Coach Kisa. I can't quite remember our OC or our OC quarterbacks coordinator. And uh, they were like, "Hey Jeff, you know, we were just thinking about this, and you know, we're going to redshirt you this year." And I was kind of like, "Like, yeah, duh. Like, <laughs> I mean, what else?" So uh, I guess it was a bigger deal than I was expecting. Um, you know, they maybe there's some guys that get really upset when they hear that, but. I was like, I would have been shocked if they didn't tell me that. So they, you know, took the approach like to make sure that I, you know, was okay with it. And I was like, like obviously I'm in a red shirt. Like, what, what did you guys think I was thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, so they literally just like straight up told me in a meeting, and I was not surprised in the slightest. Yeah, um, yeah, I would imagine that that's that's kind of something that was fait accompli, especially given the the year that Price had the year before. Um, right. Just kind of trying to to maximize the talent in that that room over the longest period of time. Um, so you had two field storming games that game. You had the Stanford game, which was warranted. That was the, I think the Thursday night game. Um, how was, how does that game rank in your, your, you know, you look back of like, wow, those games stand out, um, in your UW career. Um, 
I mean, those are those are pretty special. Like, um, you know, I don't want to say top five because I couldn't name you four other ones that are better hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I definitely remember that game like super well, and it was you know pretty fun for me because that I don't remember what game of the season that was, maybe like you know fifth or sixth, and um, you know, we, I mean, we played well and had played really well defensively, and ended up beating them, and just having the kind of the field stormed and like I ran into my friends and like. It's kind of that whole experience is like, whoa, this is what college football is going to be like. This is freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. so obviously, like, it, was, it wasn't it was Husky Stadium, but it was still like, you know, I think we were probably the first folks to storm CenturyLink because pro fans don't really do that. And, um, I mean, it was just a really cool experience. It was kind of our first, my first big upset win. Who was the first beta you saw in the field after that? Oh, that's a big question. Man, I can't remember. Was it you? Uh, I was definitely out there. I don't know. Yeah, Mr. Boyd will say it's you, dude. Uh, why not? Why not? It's, it's a little fuzzy for me for some reason, but uh, yeah. I, yeah. L- why not? Let's rewrite yeah, history. So much adrenaline. I totally feel you. Yeah. Carlos is listening right now and like screaming to the to the to his his phone that he was on your back that entire time. Like, <laughs> uh, whatever. Screw him. So yeah. then, then the OSU game happens, and that was kind of a fraudulent uh, Oregon State team that beating them wasn't as significant as kind of the, the you know, the... The, the field storming warranted did you right. did anyone was what was the the vibe on the sideline of like are we really storming the field right now for this um game? i mean i think obviously i was fired up because like it's super awesome when people storm the field um yeah but i think people were still pretty excited you know i think they were that were they ranked like seventh at the time or something like that yep, yep um so i think looking back and people were like oh we probably didn't need to storm the field for that game but i mean you know we were unranked and they were what it was six no seven and no unranked yeah. so I guess in hindsight, you know, rushing the field against Oregon State might seem like it's a kind of a weird, a, it's a weird, weird deal, but to say, yeah, right. But I guess that game, you know, it felt justified because they were really good, and you know, we weren't as good in the rankings. But right, you know, so I think in the moment it's fine. But looking back, I maybe didn't have to do that. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then that season ends. Um, there's the the Boise State uh, bowl game in Idaho, which was which was tough in its own right, but. Looking back, the game before that, the Apple Cup, um, I can't imagine a worse feeling than being trapped on that sideline in that game as things are just melting down. Yeah, no, that was a tough one. Um, it's one of those, which is, this is sort of in a way a funny story, but not a funny story. Um, you so, you know, that's obviously over kind of the Thanksgiving week. Mm-hmm. And when you're a redshirt or a freshman, you don't always travel to away games. You have to like, um, you know, like they only take, I don't know, maybe 10 of the 25-ish freshmen to away games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I hadn't been traveling to away games every week. And that week I was kind of like, all right, I'd, you know, I'd really love to go have things with my family, but like, you know, we'll just see what happens. And so I ended up, I ended up traveling. So I'm like, all right, well, at least I'm traveling for the Apple Cup. Like, this would be a great, you know, week. Um, and then, of course, we ended up losing, which is just like a total lose lose situation for me. <laughs> um, but I mean, that was a tough one. You know, it's one of those things that I think we were definitely a better team. We just didn't, you know, pull all the pieces together. And that's almost more frustrating than just getting your butt kicked sometimes. Right. Right. Um, so that was definitely not a, you know, a great kind of cap to the end. And that's the only game I'd lost in Pullman, which is, you know, a bummer because I would have been five and zero otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, it certainly didn't help our momentum going into our last game of the season with Boise state, but you know, it's, you know, you can't, I guess you can't win them all, but we definitely could have played better, which makes that one a little bit hurt. It makes that one hurt a little bit. Is there kind of a carryover effect going into those bowl games of, of, from from how the season ends, it kind of dictates how the rest of the you know those bowl practices and kind of the mentality heading into the into the game goes. Um, 
it might a little bit. I don't think it does a huge um, has a huge impact. Obviously, you know, if you win your last game before your bowl game, you might go to a better bowl game. So there's that whole dynamic of it. You're sure. like, oh, we we could be going to the Alamo Bowl versus the Vegas Bowl or whatever. Um, but I don't think that guys, at least on our team, t- tended to like just kind of slug through bowl practices because we lost the Apple Cup. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought guys kind of every year I played, we are, we, you know, regardless if we won or lost the Apple Cup, we're pretty pretty focused during bowl games. Gotcha, gotcha. So heading into the 2013 season now, now you're you're part of the mix. You're no longer you know a red shirt. You are involved in some way. You know this is this starts to count. Um, that season was the debut of a much different looking offense. Um, from from the year before, much faster jet sweep orbit stuff. What were your thoughts when that all that motion action showed up in in uh, into the the UW vernacular? Yeah, um, there were two thoughts. One was um, this is kind of exciting because it's um, in a way it was similar to what I did in high school. You know, we didn't okay. do as much like fly sweep stuff, but we were you know kind of mostly gun and um, no huddle that kind of thing. Um, so I was excited to kind of have some familiarity as far as that. Um, you know, cause before it was totally pro style, which I think is an awesome offense personally, but it's, you know, all under center, you have fullback shifting, you have, you know, tight end sets and, you know, jumps and mixes and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did bring a sense of familiarity to me. And then, um, secondly, kind of playbook wise, it was just a little bit easier for me to understand, um, you know, having, you know, kills and checks and flips and all these things in pro style were, um, you know, a pretty tough learning curve from a high school, no huddle offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a sense, it made the playbook, the new playbook, a little bit easier for me to learn, um, which was helpful. Gotcha. Um, so those are kind of my two initial thoughts. And you know, I was eager to see where it went because, tr- you know, traditionally USC and Huskies have been such a pro style team um, that this is definitely a, a change of character, if you want to call it that. Yeah, it was a little step into to modernization and, and kind of similar if you look at how like the L.A. Rams play right now. A lot right. of that stuff feels feels very um similar to, to kind of when that debuted of, of all that motion pre-snap to, to get things going. Yeah. So you start that season 4-0, and, uh, you know, all that stuff was working. You're blowing teams out. You know, Boise was, I think, 38-6 to to start that year, coming off of losing to them the year before in the in the Vegas Bowl. Uh, scoring margin, 159-43. to You go Jeez. into Palo Alto to play Stanford. I was at that game. That was that was an absolute gut punch of a football right. game. Um, my first question to you is, did Kevin Smith catch that ball? Uh, in, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to say he did, but I can't quite remember. So I'll let you be the judge of that. <laughs> uh, I think if how it played out was it was a big kind of left-to-right price scramble, and he hit right. him right by the first down marker. I think if that was flipped and it happens on the UW sideline, they, they, they call it. Um, yeah. But uh, just kind of one of those cruel twists of fate because that game was was just an epic back and forth. Um, I, I was I was I was just distraught after that, so I can't even imagine what it was like on that sideline. Yeah, we weren't stoked. <laughs> yeah, it goes to say. Um, so, kind of a frustrating season because I think after that point you lose to Stanford. Um, I think Oregon is right next on the schedule, and then there might have been another one. So you go from four and zero starting like that to all of a sudden you're either like five and three or five and four. Uh, right. Did that season kind of feel like it was destined to be that that level, or just kind of one or two things break and that that could have been a much different team? Um. You know, I think that obviously you know winning Stanford could help kind of swung some momentum in our direction. Um, you know, I, I I'm kind of a believer in the fact that the teams we were on were you know, fairly good at flushing and moving on. So it's not like, you know, losing to Stanford and then Oregon back to back, like totally 
everyone just flushed our season down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but of course, I think we finished that season. That was the which bowl game was that? There's a craft bowl, so we won that one. So I think we were, you know, we were seven and six going into that bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think you were eight and four into that one. Eight and four, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, I mean, nine and four is a good year to end. It was was a good way to end but you know hypothetically if nine nine and four becomes eleven and two you know that's has a much different feel on what the what the season felt like it what it felt like it accomplished mm-hmm. um so you know maybe a game or two here could have kind of shaped the end of it but i tend to not believe that you know losing two games in a row just totally threw everyone's hopes in the toilet if sure. that makes sense sure um so it goes to the apple cup that year uh you know win that and then the next <laughs> Three months of your life, I have to imagine, were pretty wild. Um, so after the Apple Cup, Sark takes the USC job, and that's December second. So like a week after um, Thanksgiving Apple Cup week. How did you right. find that out, and where were you when you found that out? Yeah, so this is actually kind of a funny story. So my best friend from high school um, is a kid named Alex Wood, and uh, he was a kicker at USC. Oh, this is yeah, um, okay. Yeah, and so he. Uh, I, you know, it must have been during Thanksgiving week or whatever. He texted me, or the week after, he texted me. He goes, well, this is awkward. <laughs> and I was like, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, Sark just took the USC job. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, go check ESPN. So I, like, you know, was on my phone and just pulled it up and went to, like, ESPN, and it was like, you know, Sark takes USC gig or whatever. Um, so that's how I found out. It was just from a text from my buddy, kind of pseudo-jokingly. But Wow. Yeah. So obviously they're shocking high and just kind of the way that you found out, not being – you know, any sort of direct communication for that. But so what was your first thought outside of, uh, the, the kind of wow factor with that? Um, Hmm. You know, I think that there's, let's see, what did I think? Um, obviously I was, you know, I was bummed to a point cause you know, Sark was a guy that recruited me and I kind of gained familiarity in a system and kind of the way that, you know, Sark's football program operated. Um, and so having to adjust to a new coach, whoever it was, was obviously going to be a, a change. Um, and then, I remember thinking, like, I don't, you know, there's a lot of kind of resentment with Sark taking that job, and I think initially I was like, well, it kind of, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like, if I just kind of took a step back and hopped in his shoes, like, you know, he's, he's from from LA, like, and he went to USC for a year or two in college. Like, he coached there for a while. Like, that's kind of like that's home for him. So mm-hmm. I didn't really, you know, it wasn't I was I wasn't like, why on earth would he take that job? It makes no sense. Like to me, it made a lot of sense. Um, you know, obviously there would have been some. I guess nicer closure had we found out directly from him versus, you know, a story leaking and then it all spreading like wildfire, wildfire. You know, I don't think he wanted it that way either. It's just the way it, you know, worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I, after those two factors, you know, there's kind of some excitement with, you know, who are they going to get in here? Who's going to come next? And, you know, what kind of what's the new dynamic going to be like? I think that's always kind of exciting. While it can be kind of uncomfortable and, you know, maybe a little bit anxious or mm-hmm. a- anxiety. Provoking, I don't know. What yeah. <laughs> provoking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also, you know, a chance to kind of shake up, you know, shake up, shake the rust off and, um, kind of see where your team can go in a different direction. So that was also kind of exciting. Yeah. So you had all of four days of ambiguity of, of who would be that next guy before, um, Jen Cohen hires, uh, Chris Peterson. Um, and that's December 6th. So basically right before, you know, finals end that year or whatever. Uh, yeah. when did you first meet or had you met Chris Peterson before that hiring, uh, and then what was your first conversation like, um, post, post him taking the UW job? Yeah. Um, wow. Well, let's see. I think, I don't think I'd met him before. Um, I think I, you know, I'd met one of their, I think assistant coaches in recruiting when I was in high school, but I never actually met coach Peterson. Okay. Um, 
and so I remember he walked in during a team meeting. It was before our bowl game, um, you know, and obviously he was respectful of the fact that we were still prepared for a game. So he didn't, you know, come in and try and make a bunch of changes right away. He was very kind of courteous to that. Um, and so he, uh, you know, said, you know, came, walked into the team and or we were all kind of cheering because we were all pretty fired up, obviously, because he's, a, you know, unreal reputation and some amazing stuff at Boise. And I remember actually when we walked in, Coach Pete kind of laughed and said, like, you guys are just clapping because he kicked my butt about 12 weeks ago. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, a fun, like easy, humble start to his, to his tenure. Sure. Um, but I think during a bowl game practice, he, you know, was obviously there watching. He wasn't coaching yet because we were still doing our Sark coaching stuff. Um, but you know, as I was walking out the field, he was like, Hey Jeff, when you get a chance, just come up to my office and, you know, love the chat and get to know you. And so, you know, I walked up there and, um, you know, after practice or after a meal or whatever, and just kind of sat down. I think I chatted with him for probably 15 minutes. He's just kind of trying to get get to know us. And um, what I think is kind of interesting because I hadn't thought about this before, but you know, as a new coach taking over a new team, you basically have to like re-recruit all your guys on the team. You mm-hmm. know, you don't know any of their personalities or what they're like or where they're from, or um, you know, let alone just how they play football, but how they operate as human beings. And so I think he was very strategic about getting that started as soon as he could because it's really important to him to get to know guys on the personal level rather than just like what they can do on the field yeah um and so he was you know pretty quick to at least trying to put together a conversation with me after he got hired you don't have to obviously don't name names here but is in in college football you know the sharks come out i would imagine in these kind of transition moments and there's there's you know players' minds to be changed, and I remember seeing tweets from a couple players in between that transition period of, like, you know, all bets are on the table, or things like that. Did you hear any of those voices, or did you kind of feel that on the team of of a lot of up-in-the-airness of, you know, am I going to stick it out here, or go go looking elsewhere? Um, I remember a couple guys were, uh, um, you know, kind of had that feeling, like, oh, if Sark's leaving, I'm opening my recruitment back up, and, you know, I don't remember which guys tweeted it, but you know, I know that some guys did. I personally never, like, one, no one ever talked to me, so it's pretty easy for me to, like, <laughs> not feel pressured to go transfer elsewhere. Sure. Um, but, you know, maybe there's a guy or two, but I thought for the most part, at least the guys that I kind of ran with didn't really have any issues there. Gotcha, gotcha. So with with that, those discussion with Coach Pete once he comes in, um, is there any different filter to that conversation or to kind of meeting him and talking to him given that, you know, now Keith Price is out and this is an actual quarterback job rather than something that's being given to the incumbent Price because of his success. Right. Um, sorry, what was your question there? Just is it a different kind of conversation given that there's kind of an audition element to uh, to what's going on there? Um, are you talking about that initial conversation? Yeah, just just in general when, when you're starting to, to practice with him and, and kind of once things open up um, post, post-Apple Cup, I guess, there. Yeah, Um I wouldn't say it was anything super, you know, like specific or direct. Um, you know, kind of like I said with that initial chat, it was more just like, you know, tell me about your folks, where you're from, you know, what have you liked here. Um, so it was very, it was, I, if I remember correctly, it wasn't a big football conversation. It was mm-hmm. more just like, you know, I want to get to know you as a person. And that way I can coach you better as a player. Gotcha. Um, so as far as the kind of quarterback job starting dynamics was, you know, that was safe for a different time. Gotcha. All right, so so after that, you know, the, the the fight hunger bowl happens. That was you know a nice kind of exit to to the Sark era, and then onto onto the business of, of Pete coming in. So I I said you next three months were wild, and this might not actually be as as nutty to you as it kind of thinking back was was to me. But I would imagine that Super Bowl Forty Eight has an interesting spin um, 
for 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 your career just because Super Bowl forty eight happens, Seahawks win, they beat Denver. Tyler Miles happens to be from Denver. Post right. post Super Bowl gets in a little bit of a dust up. He's out spring ball, gets a one game suspension. This is before fall camp. So walking into fall camp, um, you know you kind you kind of look around and based off the experience, it's you. And then you know it's obviously a competition. It's it's a it's a new gig to to have, but. What was your mindset heading into that fall camp, knowing that this might just be your job to lose? Yeah, um, it was certainly a different Husky quarterback experience for me. Um, you know, I think obviously the fact that, you know, Siler, who I was competing with, but also, you know, with Troy, there was the three of us, but it wasn't like there was some fallback option. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was definitely a kind of a, a different mindset in that regard. You know, it was like, it was, it was going to be one of us, like, just depends who, who. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's not to say that the first two seasons I had, you know, taken a back seat, but it was also like, you know, I'm going to work hard, but it's still Keith's job. And so the fact that this year was like, a, it's really anyone's game was, um, you know, definitely a different, a different vibe. Yeah. Um, how would you compare a, just kind of the, the overall mentality or, or um, just kind of vibe of a of the the Steve Sarkeesian ship versus the Chris Peterson ship I remember a, a big deal was made about uh you know Chris Peterson walking around picking up garbage or, or litter right. in the and that was kind of in you know symbolic of 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 what uh what the difference was D- do you buy into that 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 was that that was kind of the difference was just kind of these these little things being picked up or was that uh was that a mountain out of a molehill um, I mean, I think, you know, obviously picking up garbage isn't going to win any football games, but I sure. think that kind of that whole mindset of how to operate, I think actually goes a long way. Um, you know, and that's not to say that coach sharks squad didn't do great things. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know if you believe this too, but like, I, you know, in my opinion, Sark really saved the program from, you know, a, a pretty deep hole, you know, he kind of breathed life into it and did a lot of great things. I agree. Um, you know, I think with just coach Pete's squad, they're, you know, the whole, you know, picking up a sunflower seed off the locker room floor and throwing it away, kind of that whole mindset of, like, the little details matter. Um, you know, Coach Shark, or excuse me, Coach Pete would always flip up people's lockers so they wouldn't, you know, be by the same guys for more than three months. You'd get to hang out and meet guys on your team that you might not have ever talked to otherwise. Mm. Um, so it's kind of just a whole mindset of, like, you know, we are a team. This is our stadium. This is our locker room. Like, in a sense, an, a feeling of extreme ownership, I think, makes a huge difference. Yeah, and so while it's not again picking up the garbage is going to make the difference, but it's as far as the mindset of like, you know, this is mine. It's my job to make it better. These are my teammates. It's my job to take care of them. Kind of that whole, you know, not to be all corny, but kind of that family vibe. Yeah, like I, I think goes a long way. Brothers keeper, that that type of thing. Right. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Um, so you go, obviously, at some point the the news is delivered to you, Jeff. You're the guy for for the Hawaii game. Um, right. What, was that how big of a moment was that for you, or were you trying to just play it cool the whole time and and fight through that? I mean, I wish I could say I was playing it cool, but I was pretty freaking stoked. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, you know, not that I'd arrived by any means, but that was a sense of childhood dream that got to you know I got to check the box for. Awesome. Um, so I remember after he you know after he told me it was um, still pretty it was still pretty quiet because I remember Troy hadn't been told yet. Um, you know that I got the gig for game one and. Um, so I had to kind of keep it quiet amongst the team because, you know, people tweet and all that. Um, so I remember I walked inside and just called my folks and told them, and they were pretty fired up. And um, and I think I called my siblings. Yeah. Um, but I tried to play it cool, but I was, you know, pretty giddy. That's Yeah, that's got to be an awesome moment given given what you had said of, of uh, kind of growing up always thinking purple. Um, so you get to Hawaii. 
that game um, was was an interesting one. It was kind of a much more difficult, I think, win than than fans would have expected given given expectations from the prior year. Um, right. You you know you, we'll talk about the game as a as an entire entity in just a sec, but that throw to John Ross. I mean, how how many yards in the air was did you put that ball? I have no idea. I remember I just threw it pretty far, and having a guy like that makes it pretty easy to throw balls really far because he just goes and gets them. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I think it ended up being 91, but, you know, it could have been 60-ish in the air, and pretty pretty easy. <laughs> I, I think we do another rewriting of history, and there's there's not that much YouTube footage of it, so we just Paul Bunyan it and say it was 80 yards in the air. I, I heard it was 105 yards, first time ever. Yeah, he had to actually come get it and then keep his feet in bounds. That was, that was the crazy part about it. Yeah, no, I actually think it hit off the goalpost and then yes. he, it dropped and he caught it. That's what it was. And the refs didn't see it. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was crazy. That was crazy. Um, yeah, that was that was a wild play and kind of um, you know a, a big highlight in a game that that I'm sure you know if you had if you had an opportunity to play again would have um, you know would have loved to get another chance. Were you given any assurances before that game that there might be other starts after that, or did you feel like you were playing for the job um, given that Tyler was suspended? He was going to come back after that game. Um, probably more your second answer. Gotcha. Um, you know, obviously there's a certain element of like, if I play really well, it's going to be tough to get pulled. Um, you know, but I knew that starting for game one didn't mean I was going to start for the season by any means. Sure. Um, so there's kind of a mindset of like, obviously I have to play well to keep the job, but I never really felt like it was, you know, totally my job just because I was starting game one. Mm hmm. Knowing knowing you, I'm sure that that you had a pretty good head on your shoulders about um, about the, how the rest of the season went, and now you know you have that that one start, and that ended up being the only start um, in your UW career. I know that that you know of all people that you would have a pretty good mentality about that. But how tough was it the rest of the season being on the sideline, despite neither Troy Williams or Siler really running away with that race uh, and playing extraordinarily well to to not merit another open conversation about who should start. Right. Um, no, it was certainly difficult. Um, you know, there's obviously, you know, I, I wasn't sitting there on the sideline thinking like, God, I'm the next, you know, Heisman Trophy winner. Why the heck aren't I playing? But, you know, there's certain pieces of, you know, you watch plays or you watch kind of drives where you think like, oh, I could have made a difference here. Oh, you know, I think this team would have been good to do this type of stuff against. And I do a really good job doing that. Um, you know, so there's certain kind of plays and phases that you're like, well, I think I could have done a, a good job there that, um, you know, make it tough to watch. Um, so I guess in that regard, it was a little bit tough. You know, obviously you want to be out there making, being the guy making the difference, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. So there are definitely certain kind of phases or pieces or plays that I'd see where I'd be like, oh, man, I think I really could have helped our team there by doing, you know, this or doing that. Yeah. And I didn't get the chance to. Yeah, that was that was a tough situation. Obviously, you know, we were all big fans of yours and, and not really being on the, the inside of, of knowing how things work, but it just seemed like that, that, uh, that conversation, given that, that, um, it was just an open open book of who could play, and nobody was really running away with it. So obviously, you know, we were all pulling for you. So imagining what you were what you were feeling was um, was always interesting. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. It's something that happens basically. You know, every program across the country of right. somebody, somebody's wondering why why it's not them. Um, so next season, Jake Browning arrives on campus. Right. Um, Silo ends up retiring from football. Troy Williams transfers. KJ Carter Samuels is now in the mix. Um, it was announced to the public as a surprise quarterback heading into the season. Um, how much was a how how much of a surprise was it to you, or did you all know uh, in the in the in the room that it was going to be Jake Browning taking that? Um, you know, I mean, they were 
you know, at least when they were t- kind of talking through the competition that year, um, you know, it was very much seemed like an open competition. You know, we were all splitting reps of the ones in practice and, um, you know, we all try to get kind of coaches were very intentional about giving us kind of equal opportunity during practice. Um, you know, cause it, it kind of be one thing if they say like, all right, it's an open competition, but they only give, you know, Jake or KJ, like all the turns at the ones. Then I'd be like, all right, is it really an open practice kind of thing or an open competition? Um, you know, but they were pretty good. Um, you know, obviously Jake ended up winning that and I actually thought I had a pretty good fall camp. It just didn't work out, which is the way it goes, I guess. You know, I bummed my ankle. I probably missed some throws, that whole thing. Um, so obviously it ended up being Jake, but it seemed like kind of throughout spring camp and throughout fall camp that it was a, you know, a pretty legitimate, you know, three person race. Gotcha. Um, was it harder for you that season then, um, given that with, with Browning winning it and obviously he's a freshman and, and, um, you know, true that he you know peterson had recruited him it's kind of easier to see the writing on the wall of that might be it um after that was that more difficult or did the season before kind of get you ready for for dealing with that um this one was definitely harder um i think because there's a certain dynamic of like uh you know obviously jake was a true freshman and there's a certain definite appeal to having a guy that's young who's starting for you and having that kind of carry on throughout a couple years um, so I very much understood that logic. That's kind of every coach's dream. Um, so that one was definitely a bit harder to swallow in the first one. Cause before it was like, well, you know, I kind of pictured, you know, Siler and Troy as kind of a back and forth where if something went wrong, like, you know, I'm an ample option to replace them and we're, you know, you're not like, you know, losing some huge, like developmental opportunity by playing me, but versus, you know, that my redshirt junior season, it was like, well, if, you know, Jake's the guy and he kind of starts and there's a, you know, a lot of value to be gained in having a true freshman year guy throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one definitely hurt, you know, hit a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, that, that was, that was probably a very tough period where, you know, as much of a fan as you are of the program, you can kind of see the momentum shifting that there's, you know, your, your role and how this, your story plays out is kind of, you know, you're, you're starting to see the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, that season you have, you have the USC game on Thursday night. I kind of see that as a, a really turning point where it was very evident in that game that that team had the talent, especially on defense, to compete at a, at a very high level. Um, did it feel that way to you of going into going into L.A. at the end of Sark's tenure there of, of you know, kind of the statement that was that was put on? Did that feel like it was a, a turning point? No, I mean, that was an awesome feeling. Um, you know, kind of like you said, it was one, I guess, the fact that it was USC – you know, the fact that it was our old coach and the fact that it was kind of, I don't want to call it like, you know, the birth of a new team, but it was like, you know, in my opinion, it was, it was a turning point for Husky football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously it was really fun to beat them. And it's actually, I mean, I actually, I'd actually never been down to USC. So that was my first time in the call team and all that. And it's actually a pretty, pretty awesome place to be honest. Um, but no, I think that was a, that was a huge moment for us. And, you know, it wasn't, what was kind of cool too. It wasn't like it was a totally pretty win. So it wasn't like, you know, all the gears just fired and like we were just, what it, for whatever reason couldn't throw an incomplete pass. It was like very much kind of a gritty, grinded out type of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, our, you know, our defense was stellar, which helped a lot. Um, you know, but I think that made a huge difference for kind of mindset and for kind of the team's focus moving forward. Yeah. So it, it ends that season um, in the, in the heart of Dallas Bowl, um, which you know, <laughs> heart of Dallas or or Craft Fight Hunger might have a tough one-two for weirdest bowl games you guys ever played. Um, well, the Zaxby's Fried Chicken Heart of Dallas. Right, right. I right, forgot yep. what the presenting sponsor was. Um, That's right. <laughs> I don't even want to know who was the presenting sponsor for the, the, the Vegas. Was that Mako? 
Uh, yeah, it was Mako. Did, how much how much swag did you end up in a career with five bowl games? From uh, oh, I got some pretty sweet stuff to be honest. Although, what's kind of funny is you know obviously you get you get bowl gifts for playing all these games, and I had a lot I had a lot of teammates that would get kind of cool stuff like you know one year people got Xboxes or whatever, and mm-hmm. I always ended up going way too practical, which is also a good and a bad thing. Like <laughs> I have you know like three mobile phone juice packs. I have like seven lawn chairs that I've gotten. Um, so things that are not very sexy, if you will, but are going to be super practical for down the road. Yeah, thirty-eight-year-old Jeff Linquist is really thanking you for those. Types oh of man, he's going to be so pumped for my decisions <laughs> as a twenty-year-old. Oh man. All right. So last season, twenty sixteen, um, a big year for for the UW program, but also a, a kind of a a shift for you. Whose idea was the tight end switch? Um, I think it was kind of mine, to be honest. You know, I had actually I I tried to put my hat in the receiver or my name in the receiver hat, but you know, I'm not quite fast enough to pull that one off. So they said, yeah, I think you're probably, if you're going to change positions, probably better fit at tight end. And so I was like, all right, you're probably right. I didn't want to hear that, but you're probably right. Right. Um, so that was kind of, you know, my whole mindset there was like, well, I'm obviously not going to be the guy as far as quarterback goes. Um, you know, and obviously KJ Carter was at that point was quite a ball player. So it was, wasn't like I was going to be able to wiggle in my way into a backup role either. Cause he, pretty much had that one locked down mm-hmm. um and so i just thought like well how else can i kind of help the team out or contribute and you know, it seemed like tight end was the best best chance for me other than being the field goal holder yes yes uh i think it's it's another thing where we have a chance to rewrite history but you never had a, a romo moment uh, as a field goal holder so that, that automatically puts you as like the best holder in uw history okay well i just got to be honest though so first of all thank you best holder of history that means a lot but i yes. did i did botch an extra point against stanford one year oh. um I mean, I, I don't tell anyone about that. So, you which, know, that, that which Stanford game? Because there there was one that I can remember that I, what, for a good reason, it stopped watching at a certain point. It was the one at Husky Stadium in two thousand and fourteen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I think we ended up. I don't remember what the scores. We it wasn't really close that game. Yeah. So that was, that was some Kevin Hogan sorcery in that game, if I remember. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay. I watched one. I watched one there, but that was early in my holding career. But yeah. I never all the important ones. I did a good job on. Right, right. We already forgot yeah. about it anyways. Um, right. The, the title sticks. Anyway, so, you, you know, you have a, a quarterback background, um, and you are now the tight end. I have to imagine that there was something funky in the playbook that we just didn't get to see that year. Yeah, there were a couple of trick plays that kind of involved, like, you know, kind of a, a, a two tight end set where it'd be like, a you know, in line and then a wing tight end. And, um, you know, I'd motion across and kind of do like a, a bubble, if you will. And then mm-hmm. I get thrown a lateral, and then I would huck it back across the field. We had a couple of those in the playbook. Um but they just never end up getting used, which is too bad. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. The, the world missed out um, with something like that. But yeah. uh, that season, you know, now you're now you're in a different role, and it's kind of you know a, a, a just different scenario. But but it is still a, an an incredible season, no matter what role you have on that team. What was the confidence level heading into that Stanford game? Because it it felt like from the moments uh, that became that day of of the, the Friday night or Friday morning, that it was, UW was ready to, to just lay some whoop-ass on, on Stanford. That 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 felt like a, a, a true crystallization of, of uh, the talent in that room. Yeah, well, I thought it was kind of interesting. This is at least this is my mindset. I'm not quite sure how other guys felt. Um, but it's kind of those things, like, I always, I always believe we can win in whatever game we play. Um, so when we were going to that game, it was like, you know, I, Stanford's a really good team, very solid. Um, you know, but I think we're really good. I think we can, you know, we can pull this one out. And then, 
I don't remember what the score ended up being, but we absolutely just smacked him. And it was kind of one of those, like, you know, I kind of stopped and, like, kind of took a step back and, like, put my hands out next to my team, which is, like, dudes, like, <laughs> like we just absolutely ran away with this one. Like, holy smokes, like, what does this mean for us? Um, so that was a pretty cool, like, like this is how good we can be moment. Yeah. You know, it's not that I was shocked that we won because I always, you know, believe we can win kind of thing. Um, but, I mean, that – I mean, that was a statement, which is pretty cool to be a part of. Yeah, that, w- that was an arrival game um, and kind of, you know, you think about a program building up and there's kind of steps along the way as you get to the, to the top of the pyramid. That was that was a big one of you have expectations to win a game and, and, and you know, just delivering like that on, on the national stage. Um, rest of the season goes how it is. There is the USC game, which um, was that that game really felt was the first time that UW didn't feel like it was in control in that game. I guess there was maybe the, the Arizona game that got a little hairy at the end. Right. Um, but that game was was tough. Do you think that that was, you know, you play that game nine, ten, nine t- or ten times that UW wins nine of them, or was there was there something different about that USC team? Um, I don't know. I mean, USC is a good ball club, right? So it's not a matter. It wasn't, you know, that had a very different loss feel than like the Apple Cup my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'd like to say we'd beat them, you know, nine out of ten times. But you know, who knows? I mean, I think they were a good squad. And, you know, obviously we didn't play our best football that night, but you know, I think we have to, do have to give them some credit for how well they played. For sure. Um, so I don't know if it's ten games, maybe we win six of them or seven of them. I'd like to think, but you know, yeah. who knows? Yeah, that that's one where you know I hear people talking about Darnold and questioning anything of like just go watch that that tape of how how not flustered he was that entire game was yeah. uh, was just special for for how young he was at that point. Um, no, I mean, that, that dude's a machine. Yes, yeah, he is. He is an animal. I don't think he changed expressions more than like twice in that game. Um, no, not at all. Face. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, heading into the Bama game, that's that's kind of you know, you're, it's it would I would imagine it'd be tough to avoid kind of a, a happy to be there mentality with that game. Um, how did you fight complacency of like this is this is you know this is a big step for us to be playing in that game, but also this is a game that we have to play. Um, you know, I think there's, I guess, two factors. One, like, you know, I mean, that's a BCS bowl. I don't know how long a business the Huskies have been to one. So that was kind of a cool, like, I mean, a really cool just thing to be a part of. And, you know, obviously Alabama's Alabama. So there's a certain kind of dauntingness to playing them. Um, but then honestly, on a very simple note as far as, you know, trying to win the game versus just being grateful to be in the game, like, had we won the game, we would have had one more game to play. And from a, you know, from a former athlete that was trying to cling on to his athletic career, that was a, <laughs> a chance to play one more game. Sure. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys were obviously fired up to, one, play Alabama and try and win, but two, like, I mean, we were one game away from playing the national championship, which is a, which is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we were very aware that Alabama is a, a daunting team to try and play and beat. Um, but, I mean, you know, the the you know we were one game away from being in a chance to win the national championship. So guys are pretty stoked about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that game, I don't know if you were on the field for a non-holding play, but what was the? I mean, from your perspective, wherever it was in the on the field, what was the difference in physicality in that game versus versus other games you had played? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the the joke I made with some buddies is like, obviously there's still a bunch of college kids, um, so you know, take that as anyway. But some of those dudes were just like they were men, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know, obviously we had a couple men ourselves, but like they had more, in my opinion. Yep. Um, and I remember too, Jake Elderkamp, one of my you know good buddies in the team. Um, it was after like an interception or a fumble or something like that. He was running down and trying to make a play and got you know just clocked by a D lineman. He said it's the hardest he's ever been hit. And Jake's mm-hmm. a big dude, yeah. um, so 
you know, they certainly had a had some just absolute studs on that team. But you know, at the end of the day, they are they are they are just college kids again. Sure. Um, so you walk out. I, I compare that game to being stuck in traffic, um, like you're on <laughs> I five North and you just can't. You're just trying to move lanes, but you can't. That's that's how it felt the whole game. Of of uh, there was just an impossibility to to moving the ball on offense that that ultimately caught up with you, Dub. Yeah, well, I mean, guess what was tough? Because, you know, we, we scored that first touchdown pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it was 7-0, 7-7 at that point. But it was, you know, it wasn't like we were playing against, you know, the you know the Hawks in 2012. Yeah. Um, so it was like, a, you know, we, we could move the ball. And I guess just being able to do it that first drive kind of pretty seamlessly and then struggling the rest of the game maybe kind of made it a little bit, you know, harder because it's, well, we just did this. Why can't we do it again? Sure. Um, so, you know, there was certainly a, like a – like in a, a thought, like, well, we've done this, we can do it again. It just never clicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a tough game, but ultimately, you know, when the dust settles, I think a, a game that was a seminal moment in in this this program, given kind of the the ascendancy that 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 um, you know from from when Peterson got there, kind of taking the lumps that year to 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 getting to that point was um, was a big step for sure. That's it for you. I mean, that was that was the end of, of your college football career, and now it's kind of just a, a reflection period. Um, you know, I don't know how much time you have here, but do you want to just go over a couple couple just like reflection questions from from the entirety of your career? Sure. Yeah. So did the did the uh, the T word ever come up internally or in conversations with with family or friends or anything like that? Of you know, it's it's kind of my my quarterback options here are running out. Um, yeah. Is it is it worth looking elsewhere? No, I, I mean, I definitely did. Um, you know, we won't name names of schools, but I definitely, you know, put my put my name out there and saw what kind of, you know, opportunity might be around there. I mean, because one of those things that never hurt to just find out, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I could always just say, no, it wasn't like by putting my name out there, I was by any means leaving UW. Um, so, you know, I floated my name out to a few schools. I talked to a few coaches, took a visit, um, just to kind of see what that opportunity might look like. Um, you know, because in a sense, you know, losing the starting job, my redshirt junior year to Jake Browning was a, in a sense, like a, okay, so is all this in you know, the last eight years of my life, you know, all of high school, all of college, all this work I put in, does that mean that this all goes down the tube? Mm-hmm. Um, so I very much had the like the thought of like, well, I want to go put this to good use. I want to go play. Um, so I, you know, I definitely thought about it. Sure. Yeah, I would imagine it's it's hard not to just in terms of weighing all your options. Um, that's yeah. definitely one that's on the table. Um, looking back, obviously, like. You know, when you think about those eight years and you are trying to frame it positively, it's you know, it's it's not really as many throws that you made in big games, but kind of when you look back, what what you know, I, I remember Christian Capel wrote that article about you know Jeff Jeff Linquist is on the, the all perspective team and right. um, and you know you had a, you, great things to say about what you learned, but truly if you had to distill it into you know everything other than the how the football part of it worked out, what did what did being a D1 athlete and, and that whole experience of, you know, the, the highs and lows of that teach you about, you know, everything else that you're going to do in your life going forward. Yeah. Um, hmm. I think kind of, so there's a few answers. I think kind of the easiest one was, it was a really awesome chance for me just to meet folks and learn how to kind of deal with people. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Mercer Island. So it was, um, you know, the same friends from kindergarten through, uh, and high school and like, um, you know, I didn't necessarily meet a bunch of new new people or kind of different personalities. And so playing football at UW, you're right, I get put with guys from you know, from Shelton, Washington, from L.A., from Phoenix, just from the Bay Area, kind of guys from all over. So you really learn how to, like, just work and become buddies with guys that are super different than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an experience that was, you know, a, 
definitely I had to kind of learn how to do it at first, but it was also like, you know, some of those guys became some of it's like some of my best friends and the guys that I really, really enjoy spending time with. Um, so I think that's kind of the easy answer. It's just like the fact that I got to meet so many awesome people and just kind of learn about so many different types of folks. Yeah. Um, I think it was a really cool experience. And then from a, you know, a very practical standpoint, it taught me how to time manage pretty well. Um, you know, obviously I still can get better at it, but you know, having a balance, um, you know, school, football, um, sleeping, eating, and then the occasional beta function, um, <laughs> You know, there was not a lot of time in the day, so that was something that I had to kind of work at pretty early on. Yeah, and you've learned to schedule your podcast at 7.45 a.m. Um, you know it. That's that's a big one. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine that, you know, going through that, you've you've been through some some different types of experiences that, that not a lot of people can um, can equate to. So, so definitely stuff to walk away with from that. Uh, if you're going to compare... Bush Hamden's coaching style versus John Smith's Jonathan Smith's coaching style, but you can only use Av restaurants. Uh, how would you do it? Oh wow! Um, Jeez. <laughs> so you got your, you know, EJ's of the world. You have right. your, you know, there's just Chipotle. Like there Two are first Regazza Pizza. Absolutely. Um, I, I assume I can't call them both the same restaurant, right? Would that be, uh, would that compare, be cheating? Compare parts of them to that, but we're going to make you okay, well, put a line we'll in do, We'll do teriyaki first for Bush. Okay. And then we'll do Chipotle for Jonathan Smith. Um, all right. I don't know. Those aren't reflective of their, of their personalities at all. They're just two of my favorites on the app. Okay. So yeah. I figure that's reflective for two of my coaches. I mean, they're both, you know, different from each other in the sense that they had different coaching styles a little bit. You know, Jonathan's a little bit less vocal and Bush is more vocal and um but I mean personally they're both just amazing awesome dudes so guys that I really enjoy spending time with and being around so much like Chipotle and Teriyaki first I just love you know hanging out at those spots I thought you were about to compare or use the T first thing as like uh there's a there's a small curtain but you know in the back of of that that covers a lot of you know the inner workings of what goes on um (laughs) i thought that was where you're going with that but uh i'll say that one for next time so if you ever have me back on ask me that question again i'll come up with some creative answers (laughs) there we go yeah i could have prepped a little bit more that's 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 a lot first of all remembering at restaurants was tough enough for me but yeah um, it's changed so much you know yeah honestly honestly um all right so last last thing here how yeah. would you just compare the program? You know, you come in, it's after the Baylor game. It's kind of a whole different, you know, an, an, playing in the Alamo is, 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 is what it is. It's, it's kind of a, you're at a, I don't know, a, a mid-level college program to, to where you left it of that Alabama game. Um, how yeah. would you compare those, the, the feel of the program from when you come, come in in 2012 versus when you leave in 2016? Um, let's see. I think for... I guess for me personally, I have a much, I had a much better perspective on what college football should be like by the time I left, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that just where the program was, you know, obviously kind of put it in some spots to do some really great things. Um, You know, obviously some big wins and some big plays and that whole kind of thing and landed some big recruits. Um, But I think as far as how it felt when I left, it was, it felt like it was a very mature program. You know, there was very much a mindset that was a, a good one, a strong one. Um, you know, guys were, were bought in, they were doing the little things right. You know, obviously people are still trying to improve all the time and all that, but, um, you know, it felt like a, a very kind of whole, a whole program that was just kind of on a roll together. That's kind of how it felt when I left. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
you know, the fact that they had a great year last year and, you know, they're probably going to have a great year this year, like, that doesn't surprise me. It's just kind of – it feels like to the guys on the team now that's just business as usual. And obviously winning doesn't come easy, but guys are, you know, they're willing and ready to work hard to, to get back to those spots. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that, that is kind of how it feels from the, 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 the fans' perspective too. If it's started off as kind of fledgling and there's all these kind of different things going on, but now it's a very much like runaway train of this is how it's supposed to be. Like these, this is – Big, winning big games is the usual rather than this kind of blip on the radar. Right. Yeah. And, again, that's not, that's not to say you take those big wins for granted, but, um, you know, it's very much like th- there's a true mindset to, like, we can win every game we play now, which right. is, you know, a really powerful place to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for, for, A, you know, hitting the alarm clock very early this morning and doing this, <laughs> uh, but for, B, sharing some stories. That was uh, that was awesome to get to talk to you. Yeah, you bet, Brandon. Awesome, to, awesome talking to you, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go dogs. Dogs. Yep. See you, buddy. See ya. That was Jeff Lindquist, current dude and former UW quarterback. Uh, thank you so much to Jeff for coming on and doing that. That was awesome. And to all of you uh, for listening, make sure to subscribe and give us all five of those stars. Pretty please. Peace.